Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us again this week for another terrific Farcast. We have a wonderful lineup of guests for you for our three segments. Of course, we have uh, Kenny Polcari coming up uh, in our first segment. Lots to talk about in markets. And ladies and gentlemen, if you've been listening to Kenny, you've had as close as it legally gets to inside information. Kenny has called this market on the nose, said that as long as you keep making lower lows, this market's going to grind. It's going to ricochet around. But uh, don't declare victory too early. These things take time to work themselves out. We're going to go to Kenny in just a second. Of course, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed up big time today, 430 points. The S&P was up uh, 41 points, just about 1.6%. So was the NASDAQ, up 111 points, also about 1.6%. So we've been watching this rotation, and at Farm Miller in Washington, uh, I've also done a bit of a study. And what I did was I looked at... uh, more, uh, I, I guess, economically sensitive indexes and different uh, sectors in the market. And I combined in that group consumer discretionary, uh, industrials, IT, and materials, a lot of the more cyclical names. And then in a more defensive index, I put consumer staples, healthcare, and utilities. So as you might expect, the cyclical index produced far greater returns through the first part of the year through September. But once we moved into October, the defensive index closed the gap with a vengeance. And as I write, the defensive index, those more defensive industries, are now outperforming the the cyclicals by nearly 2% for the year, for the entire year. What a difference a month makes, Kenny Pokari. Is this a surprise to you or not? No, I'm not really surprised. Look, we, we t- we've been talking about this since the market broke back in uh, in early October, right? When the first break happened, we start and we broke all those technical levels. I said to you, watch for the market to make a, a new low and then rally and test it again. If it fails, it'll make another new low. Rally, it'll test that second low. If it fails, it'll make another new low, which is exactly what we've done. We've now made three lows. Uh, we rallied today strongly, you know, up 400 points. But everyone forgets the Dow is still down some 2,500 points. So it sounds good to say the market soared 400 today, but we're still behind the eight ball, right? My concern well, is over it, the it's next It's still down. The, yeah. T- what's right. the concern? Tell my, me. My concern is over the next week and a half, right, ahead of, uh, of uh, midterms, uh, that's going to create some more volatility. I would not be surprised to see the market test the last low one more time. It's going to test it. It wants to see if the buyers defend it. It wants to see if it holds. And that's going to be very important in terms of creating or beginning to create a base. What's that last low on the, on the, on the S&P, Kenny? Uh, it was 20, it was 20, 26, 50, 26. I think the low was 26, 22. But the, if we fail there, that was yesterday, right? If we, and then it rallied up and it closed at like 26.51 on the S&P. But if it's going to test 26.22 again, then, and it fails, then it's going to go, in my opinion, right back to the February low, which was 25.62. So it's down about 100 points from where we are right now. But I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen if it did. I would expect that low to hold. Okay, so uh, we're still in this... Um, working uh, out our anxiety phase of a market repricing. 
Uh, right. We've clearly qualified for a correction. But your caution is the correction hasn't formed a solid bottom yet. Is that what you're saying? It has not. Yeah, no, I don't think it has at all. And look, it, because look at the market action. After we made the first low, it ricocheted higher, and then it faded, right? Then it made a new low. It ricocheted higher, and it faded. Now, today, what did it do? It ricocheted higher, you know, thrashing around as it tries to, uh, as it tries to build that base, that, that new foundation. And so don't anyone think that by, by – this is over by any stretch because it isn't. And I don't mean to paint like this gloomy picture. I'm just saying you got to hold on and strap in until, uh, in my opinion, after the midterms. I think the midterms is what's going to set the market kind of straight after that. You know, and we're going to talk with Dan Mahaffey uh, from the Center for the Study of Presidency and Congress about the midterms coming up. And I've got some questions for you about the midterms too, Kenny. But uh, so Jack Perugian says that he thinks that this is a classic correction and you can start buying now. Are you buying yet? When do you I, buy well, if you want to buy this dip? Well, listen, I think if you're going to buy, you hit the nail on the head with the with the uh, with the um, uh, the group that you that you created, those defensive names, because I think that's going to be the name of the game right now is defense. Right. So if you want to buy utilities, you want to buy health care, you want to buy consumer staples, not the discretionaries, but the staples. Those are the ones that will certainly do better, right, in, a, in kind of a defensive market. Um, and then I right, think right, right after the election, I think, I, I think the results are in in the sense that the market is expecting a Democratic win of the House and a Republican win of the Senate. If that's the case, then I think the market stops the thrashing around, turns a little bit, and then starts a methodical move higher. If the Republicans maintain both houses, I think the market takes off. And if the Republicans lose both houses, I think the market tests lower very, very quickly. Very, very quickly. Okay, so a Republican win is bullish for markets. Uh, an expected uh, win, you sound, sounds like uh, the, Democrat, the, the House goes Democratic, right? right? And, the, right. and, because, and, the, and the Senate stays Republican? Gridlock. Right. That'll, yeah, we that'll like gridlock. gridlock. The market doesn't mind gridlock. No, market does not mind gridlock. So you think that that could... You think that that could actually start a little bit of a base building with a bias upwards, even in spite of a Fed hike coming in in December? That doesn't worry you? Yes, because yes, because here's the deal. And, you know, and I had this conversation on CNBC today because because Scott Wapner was trying to tell me that you know the macro data is going to weaken, so the Fed's going to get the the Fed is going to get dovish. I go, I'm not saying that. I don't think the macro data is going to weaken. I don't think the Fed is going to get dovish. I think the Fed should continue to raise rates in the methodical, gradual pattern that they have made very clear that they're going to. I think anything other would be a mistake. Now, unless, of course, the da- if the data does, in fact, weaken, okay, then, I'll, then, I, then I say to you, okay, the, should, the, the Fed should become dovish. But I don't see it weakening. I don't think it should weaken. And so, therefore, I don't think the Fed should change course at all. Okay, but let me play devil's advocate for just for a quick second here. So let's let's we always used to say when you and I were growing up and used to be young, which I still remember that, you know, it takes 12 to 18 months to see the effects of any monetary policy action show up in the data. Right. Didn't we say that if the Fed raises rates today, you're not going to see it in the data for like 12 to 18 months, 12 months minimum. Right. 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 Okay, so we've had all these raises uh, right. We we've we've had uh, we, we've got uh, we do have some rising um, earnings going to the consumer. Right. So uh, we have some wage inflation, which is going to cost corporations more. It's kind of a headwind on profits. We've got higher right. debt service. That's kind of a headwind on profits. So, uh, it, you know, so uh, if, if we have the uh, 
House go Democratic, I mean, maybe, you know, and then the, the Republicans are, are, can't do infrastructure spending. They can't do another tax cut as easily. They can't they, they might have their hands tied fiscally. Uh, right. Don't you think that perhaps even though the Fed raises in December, they could say, all right, we're going to give this another six months now. Look at a little more they, data. I mean, wouldn't that be prudent? Well, they could, and, and, you know, you could say it's prudent, but what happens if the data in January is strong, the data in February is strong, the data in March is strong? Then, then what's prudent? The data is getting stronger. Now, if you're telling me the data gets weak in January, February, March, then I would agree with you. But if the data continues, the macro data, I'm not talking about earnings, on macro data. If the macro uh, U.S. Uh, economic data continues to be strong as it is, then I don't see any reason that the Fed should slow down. Now, I will give you, if, it, if the macro data changes, then yes, but I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, so give me, uh, so we're, uh, we're, of course, I love talking to you, and we learn so much. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we all owe Kenny a great uh, debt of thanks, uh, because he really has called this and given us great guidance now for a month through a very difficult market. Uh, Kenny, coming into year yeah. end, tell me what yeah. we should be thinking about, and what are your expectations for uh, the S&P returns for uh, 2018 with, with uh, just maybe two months left in the year? So here's what I think is going to happen. I think after we get through the election and we get exactly what the market expects, which is a split Congress, I think the market uh, starts to stabilize. And then I think, you know, we're into the whole uh, Black, uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Christmas, Hanukkah shopping season. Uh, and, and I think the market rallies back. I don't think it gets back to the highs of the year, which are 29.50. I don't think it gets back there. But I do think we're going to come into an end-of-the-year Santa Claus rally. Look, on the news the other day, they were talking about Americans spent $9 billion on Halloween. All right, think about that for one minute. $9 billion on Halloween. Can you imagine God, what that's they're going to stupid, spend on on Christmas? That's just stupid. All right, so well, Kenny's looking stupid, for a Santa Claus rally. And uh, Santa Claus rally, uh, hold all tickets through the election, and we're going to get Kenny right. back to keep us, keep us pulse, keep our pulse of this market together because we've got one of the best pros pros out there, ladies and gentlemen. From O'Neill Securities, a managing director, head of floor operations for O'Neill, my great friend Kenny Polcari. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be right back with my friend Dan Mahaffey taking a look at these elections, what may happen next on the Farcast. You're listening to Forecast. Do you have an upcoming event and need a dynamic speaker to engage your audience? You've enjoyed listening to the Forecast, so why not invite Michael Farr and Kenny Polcari to speak to your group? I'm Harry Jennings, business analyst for Farr Miller in Washington and associate producer of the Forecast. Thank you for downloading and inviting us into your cars, homes, and earbuds. We certainly enjoy making this show for you every week. In addition to their work at their respective firms, on-air work at CNBC, and, of course, the podcast, Michael and Kenny are accomplished public speakers, having appeared at such events recently as the Matheson Investor Conference, Economic Club of Memphis, and YPO Economic Summit. If you are hosting an event that you would like Michael or Kenny to address, please contact me, Harry Jennings, at 202-530-5608, or drop me an email at hjennings at farmmiller.com. I'll be happy to discuss getting Michael and Kenny on your schedule. Now more with Michael Farr and the Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. Uh, We appreciate you bringing us into your cars and homes and offices and earbuds and on jogging trails. 
it's, uh, it is a real privilege to be with you, and I thank you very, very much. We hope that these forecasts continue to be helpful. I know that Kenny Polcari's segment that we just went through was terrific, uh, and, I, and I learn a lot every time I talk to Kenny. He's a great friend, too. Uh, Dan Mahaffey is coming up right now as we go to Washington on the forecast, as we do every week to try and understand what's going on behind the scenes, under the dome, in the cloak closet. And uh, behind, uh, you know, West Wing and, and over in the family quarters, there's a lot going on in this White House and on Capitol Hill. For that, we turn to our great friend Dan Mahaffey, who is uh, the senior political analyst for the forecast. He is also an analyst strategist at the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress in Washington, D.C., an insider's insider. Hey, Dan, welcome back to the forecast. Good evening, Mr. Farr. How are you? Good to be back. Hi. Uh, I am just wonderful, and we are so glad you are back. We have, uh, you know, the Chinese curse, Dan, may you live in interesting times. I can't imagine they could even have this in mind. This is this is a little too much. I don't think they could. And I also was struck by Kenny's detail there on the amount that Americans spend on uh, Halloween. I found when I was over in China, probably one of the best deterrents there is between uh, to avoid war between the U.S. and China is I was asked by a Chinese person what was the point of Halloween when they just saw this gory, bloodlusting holiday that Americans loved uh, simply because so much of the skeletons and fake blood and gore are made in factories in China. Perfect, huh? Perfect. Yeah. And, uh, and, and good news for those factories in China, we spent $9 billion dollars on Halloween. Yes. I mean, you know, I've, I've been offended in recent years, um, well, by several things, but in particular, just so we don't leave it a vague, uh, but far vaguely uh, offended, specifically, I've been offended the, the way that the media often, particularly business media, will often uh, use U.S. consumer and just American interchangeably. Mm -hmm. um, we are the consumer now. We, they, they don't refer to us as often as Americans. It's just much more and <laughs> in, in, in interchangeably synonymous with consumer. I take exception to that. But then I hear $9 billion on Halloween and think, you, maybe the lady doth protest too much for and you should shut up. Yes. Uh, uh, speaking at, of, at a time of political uh, discord, the only thing that unites us is our ability to spend money. <laughs> well, and we do it so well. And yes. we spend so damn much of it. Um, uh, there is so much political discourse, uh, discord, and we're coming now uh, one week from the election, and we're going to be back with some insights uh, next week for you. But one week, Dan, tell us where we stand. Tell us what's important and what voters are going to be thinking about when they go to the polls. Well, I think we, we have now our candidates, a president and a public that have been through the nine rounds of midterm campaigning. And I think everyone is getting a little punch drunk at this point. The, uh, the tenor of the politics, and particularly, too, where we've added in uh, these three heinous incidents, the, the pipe bombings, uh, the, the shooting in Kentucky of two African-Americans, and the attack on the synagogue in Pittsburgh. Uh, people just feel, I think, sickened by the state of our politics but the, the political leaders are going back to the base. And that's why we're hearing about things like birthright citizenship today or uh, the caravan coming towards the border requiring the deployment of thousands of troops uh, or the on the uh, 
on the left as well, where we're pushing for uh, the the Republicans are going to kill you with their health care plan and, and things of that nature. I think everyone is just needing to to settle down a little bit um, going into this, and the public is growing increasingly tired of this. Now, does that turn people away from the polls, or does it uh, get turnout? Uh, to to be bolstered, to support your side, and I think that's the million dollar question as we're a week out. And and you know, uh, remember as we were looking at the presidential elections uh, two years ago, uh, we thought everybody thought that uh, uh, Mrs. Clinton, Secretary Clinton, was a shoe in, uh, no brainer. Everybody can go to bed and wake up with President Clinton again tomorrow morning, and uh, didn't happen didn't yes. happen. And so uh, even though we all seem fairly sanguine that uh, the House will shift to a Democratic majority and Nancy Pelosi will once again be Speaker of the House of Representatives, it might not happen. Huh? It still might not happen. We have to wait and see. Huh? Yeah, there's still a chance that that might not happen. But I think the, the probabilities we're seeing with the House have continued on that trend. And even though polling in midterms is never as good as we'd like it to be, since you're going district by district and running uh, very local elections. I think we've at least seen a trend, though, uh, particularly in the Midwest, where I've noticed candidates, uh, you know, as much as there's the silliness coming from Washington, the really successful candidates are remembering that all politics is local. Uh, You're hearing talk on infrastructure spending, on fixing potholes, improving education, and really trying to get some of these uh, areas, particularly in the Midwest, uh, kind of out of the economic doldrums that these people still feel they're in. They, They get the sense that the economy is doing well but they're not seeing the improvements that they want to see. And I think that next step is going to be uh, those candidates who are running and saying, I can, I can make a difference and I can make a change in the system. Um, and we'll see can how Can you give those... me some insights? The president's been talking about this birthright issue. Can you tell us what it, what, what's at stake here? Well, frankly, it's the idea that uh, the 14th Amendment and the Constitution to overcome a lot of the uh, problems created by slavery and the Dred Scott decision was put in place to say, look, even if you were the child of of slaves and your parents were not citizens, being born in the U.S. made you a citizen. And that uh, was reaffirmed by the Supreme Court uh, in a case involving Chinese immigrants in the late 1890s. And along with uh, several other countries, the United States has always had a a different version of of birth citizenship as opposed to the more restrictive European model, which was citizenship by blood, uh, which had a lot of connotations that you had to avoid... uh, avoid immigrants uh, polluting uh, the purity of the nation. So the American uh, model was always far more open and inviting. And and President Trump is trying to over uh, overturn a, a pretty strong constitutional precedent. It's, it's very simple here in the 14th Amendment. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. It's, it's a very... Okay, so the president's getting ready to tackle a significant uh, constitutional issue. He may or may not. He's certainly jawboning about it. This, uh, I presume, is uh, a pre-election uh, uh, strategy. And yes. 
uh, is, is playing to his base? Is that what's really going on here? And do you think he'll really follow through with it? I, th- I put it in the same folder as the tax cut that we were supposed to get in place in 10 days before the election. Uh, I think it's okay. one of those ones that's going to gin up the base. Uh, they'll probably put the executive order forward. Uh, if this gets through the court system in any way, I would be shocked, particularly having okay. appointed Gorsuch uh, and Kavanaugh, who are two very originalist judges. That language I just gave you there directly from the Constitution is pretty open uh, and shut case. So, Dan, uh, you think the likelihood is, is, is uh, uh, um, that we will basically see the House uh, shift? The Senate remains, and that's going to be that, yes? Yeah, I think we'll have divided government, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, who tries to position themselves to either try and get uh, some things done in divided government, or do they naturally go back to uh, trench warfare? It's going to be a question of what are the incentives with each party uh, trying to demonstrate either that they're moving an agenda forward, or are they just doubling down on the deadlock and partisanship? You know, on Wall Street, we've always kind of enjoyed deadlock. I mean, uh, and and the notion was, you know, the less you really can allow uh, politicians to do, the better off we'll all be. Um, sort of stemming from the the idea that you know, high from the we're from the government and we're here to help could be some of the scariest words you ever hear in your lifetime. Uh, better to, you know, uh, limit government and and have them a bit um, uh, hamstrung. Uh, so that they can't change too much and, and let the rest of us get on with our uh, lives. has always been sort of Wall Street's, Wall Street's attitude. We'll see if that returns. You know, one of the things as a, as a lifelong Washingtonian, uh, and we've talked about this before, has been the and, – and, and David Abshire, who was truly one of the great Americans and great statesmen of our time, passed away a couple of years ago, founder of Center for the Study – of uh, uh, international studies uh, and uh, uh, for the study of the presidency where, where you are. Uh, this was one of the greatest men I've, I've known, uh, really was. And he was a firm believer in a, a forthright and civil discourse. And he even wrote a book on civility in government that I think is, 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 should, be, should be required reading. Uh, for at least, I'd like to buy 535 copies. If I could be sure they'd be read, I'd buy them and, and get them up to uh, members of Congress. But, uh, Dan, is, is civility dead in, in American politics? Is there, is there, will, will that civil phoenix ever rise again, or should I just forget about it? Well, I think it'll have to rise at some point because our system is designed in a way that you have to have civility and compromise to get anything done. Uh, if you're going to to have a political system uh, where we're constantly in partisan trench warfare uh, or in deadlocked government, even as much as Wall Street likes it, uh, take infrastructure, for example. The uh, Wall Street's not going to love uh, the continued failings of American infrastructure and the impact that has on business if we can't do anything about it. And that's just one issue uh, of importance. So we have to move forward with civility in some way. I think the other thing that's important to track is looking at the incentives towards civility. Uh, and what's not getting as much attention in this midterm, which I think deserves attention, we have a number of ballot uh, 
initiatives uh, in several states, uh, one in Colorado, Utah, and Michigan, all looking to change uh, redistricting in their state to make it nonpartisan redistricting. And there are similar measures like that about ethics, open primaries that are being on the ballot. They're on the ballot this election. And that's a chance for voters to say, we want to fix the system and bring some of that civility back. Encouraging words from our great friend, senior political analyst, Dan Mahaffey. So, Dan, you think it's going to go as called, uh, that the bookmakers probably have this one right. There's not going to be a blue wave. There's not going to be a red wave. Uh, we know what we're going to be talking about next week. Yes? Yes. With I, me on that? Yes? Yes. Perfect. Dan Mahaffey from the Center of the Study for the Presidents of the Presidency and Congress. Thanks so much. Ladies and gentlemen, stick with us. We're going to be right back. Uh, on the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Farcast. I'm Harry Jennings, producer for the show. We are already hard at work putting together next week's episode, an election special for you to be recorded on Thursday night. The results will be in. What will the results be for the markets? Tell a friend and listen in on your favorite podcast platform Main Street, Wall Street, and the world. It's Farcast. And now back to your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the forecast. What a terrific forecast we're having this evening. Uh, Kenny Polcari, insights on the market, and he has given us great guidance, ladies and gentlemen, well, all year, uh, uh, for over a year now. Uh, Kenny has been uh, terrific for us. But really here in the month of October, his advice, his wisdom, his experience have pretty much been right on as this market is trying to grind out a correction, find a bottom that Kenny warns us it may not have found yet, so be a little patient, be a little cautious, and he sees that we, he thinks that we really have to get through the midterms before that happens. Dan Mahaffey, great insights in our Washington segment uh, about what he expects uh, in D.C., what he expects from these midterms, what we're going to look at going forward, and what is going to really matter most to Wall Street. Always so wonderful to have Dan Mahaffey. But for our third segment tonight... Maybe one of our best, most special guests we, we, we've ever had on a segment on the Farcast. We've had Fed presidents, we've had CEOs, but we haven't had Stephanie Link. And this <laughs> week we have <laughs> we have Stephanie Link. I'm actually uh, I'm actually serious. You know, last week I was up in uh, New York uh, and I was on uh, halftime report uh, with Stephanie Link, and it was such a pleasure. And as I sat there and listened to her. Uh, her insights, her analysis were real. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, she wasn't just kind of talking from uh, re reciting the rules from Chapter 43 uh, of, the in of the investment uh, textbook uh, from business school. She was talking to you about her experience and how she was reacting to a difficult market, how she was navigating her clients' portfolios through this market. I found it refreshing. I found it insightful. I thought that she was very wise and articulate. And so, of course, we got off the show. I said, you, you please come on the Farcast, Stephanie. So, Stephanie, welcome to the Farcast. Well, thank you so much. That is a, such a kind introduction, and I'm, I'm so humbled and, and really appreciate being with you. Well, we appreciate it. Stephanie is the head global uh, equities of research at uh, Nuveen. Uh, she manages a large-cap uh, U.S. equity strategy for Nuveen's largest affiliate, TIAA. Um, and 
you know, she ran, she was co-portfolio manager of Jim Cramer's uh, charitable trust for a long time. Uh, now, it, the odd part here about Stephanie is, you know, it goes through this wonderful bio of hers that she did this at 10 years at Prudential. And before that, she was at Dean Witter that she is uh, uh, maybe 35 years old. So I don't know how she got all of that done uh, on top of the degree from uh, Boston College. Uh, I promise I sat there next to her. She's not much more than 35, ladies and gentlemen. Stephanie, so market rallied back today. Kenny points out that we're still, you know, well over 2,000 points down on the Dow uh, overall. Jack Perugian says he thinks this is a classic correction. You can start buying in here. Tell us what you make of this market, today's rally, and what you see going forward. Yeah, well, um, I, th I think that clearly the volatility is is spooking some people and causing some anxiety. And, and quite frankly, Michael, you'll know this just as well as I, that the responses and the reactions to, to earnings season this go-round has been so extreme. Um, yeah. I'm in this business a long time, as are you, and the stocks that they just sell off 10, 15, 20 percent, um, it's staggering. It's staggering. And I think sometimes it's justified if fundamentals aren't uh, aligned with valuations. But in this case, I think it's sell first and ask questions later. And I think a lot of that is because we had strong um, performance in the markets in August and September, which are usually kind of volatile uh, for, for the markets. So we're kind of giving back a little bit in October. Um, but what's really very um, refreshing to me is that we are getting real-time, fundamental details, and we're hearing from companies real-time about what's happening in the economy, what's happening in the world, what's happening at these companies, and how they're executing. And so to me, it gives me confidence confidence that, yes, we're seeing volatility, and that certainly could, could um, continue. But, but if you think long-term and not short-term, and we are long-term investors, as are you, um, if yep. you think long-term, fundamentals trump the short-term volatility. So let me just talk about fundamentals. You're seeing 22% earnings growth, 9% revenue growth. Multiples have come down from 19 and a half times forward estimates on the S&P to 15 times. Interest rates have pulled back. Commodities have pulled back. This is all good for stocks. So you pick your spots, and I have been doing that in this earnings season just because you've seen such an overreaction um, in the short term. And so I do think it's an opportunity. You just got to think a little bit longer term and a little bit more bigger picture. Okay, so Stephanie, I, I, I agree with all that, and I look at the fundamentals, and balance sheets matter to me, and so yeah. does earnings growth, and so does revenues growth. Uh, I want to see top and the bottom line growth, and I don't want to see an overlevered balance sheet, among yeah. other things. So I look for those healthy balance sheets because I've always got one eye on being defensive. You know, I always want to yeah. know what I've got when everything starts going crazy. But I, I, what do you think about this notion that we're seeing the market actually kind of go through a repricing of expectations? And while that earnings growth is 22 percent, yes, this year we've got a tax cut. We've had some other things next year. Even a 10% expectation, which a lot of analysts are calling for, might be a little aggressive. Uh, we're going to have, of course, you know, we've got higher wages. We've got higher interest rates. We've got margin pressure around. Uh, we've got the Fed that's still tightening. We have maybe, so maybe uh, we're going to have a more moderate kind of an environment. And 15 times earnings might be the right level. Are we, do you think we could be having kind of a repricing readjust here? 
We could be, but as, as you know, um, just as well as I, last year it was all about international growth. This year it's all about the U.S. growth. I think we've gone to the extremes on international growth in terms of the talk about repricing and the lowered expectations. I think everyone is sort of crowded in the U.S. because this year is the great year for the U.S. And next year, yes, you are definitely going to see a slowdown. But think about this. You have China, which is certainly decelerating, but they are aggressively stimulating aggressively. You have the euro at new lows. That will help their export story. You will have next year, you will have Bolsonaro, the new president of Brazil, with a very fiscal friendly, I would call it Trump 2.0 kind of uh, fiscal policies that will likely go in place. So I actually think last year we had international growth and it did well. This year we have U.S. growth. It did well. Next year, I think you might return back to international. And oh, by the way, that might help the U.S. as we are slowing a bit. And I would just say also this year, we got a little frothy on growth versus value. We got a little, we got a little frothy on tech and the overcrowdedness of tech. So all of these things, I'm not so worried, Michael. I, I mean, I, I think you have to be very tactical in terms of where you want to put your money and be aware of sentiment and be aware of where there's crowdedness in the marketplaces here and around the world. But I, I just don't think it's going to be doom and gloom next year. And I, I, I do think 15 times is, a, is an awfully cheap multiple, particularly as interest rates are coming down. China is slowing. China's going to be a headwind. China's not going to be there as the great consumer. And China's not going to be sending us as the same level of cheap stuff And because we're going to have these tariffs that we're going to end up paying. And it's going to be, it's going to be causing more of a slowdown, yes or no? Because that's the story we hear, isn't it, Stephanie? Yes, and I think that's why China – the market is down 27% year-to-date, right? And that's why right. they're, the multiple now is 12 times forward. No one even believes their earnings growth at all. But I, I, I think no. if you look at the amount of stimulus that has been put in place in China since June, Michael, 27 different kinds of stimulus p- programs or announcements have been, have been put in place. It's amazing. It really is, right? I mean, they have the flexibility yeah, to do totally. it. So, so, so I think eventually, uh, certainly tariffs are a big concern. I get it. But they're doing – they're not standing still. I guess that's my point. They're trying to do things that can kind of stabilize growth and perhaps even start to see a little bit better growth than where the low, low expectations are at. Okay, so i got to do three things with you before we get out of here. And I, This is great. I love what you're telling us, and it's fabulous information. I'm learning a lot. I know our listeners are, too. So uh, do you care about the election? Of course. We're all obsessed about the election. <laughs> well, we're obsessed, but is mar- do the markets really care? What are the markets going to do about this election? What's your expectation? Yeah, no, I Democrats think— Democrats take I, the I, House? Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to get a split. I think that's what the well, I think that's the base case, right? You'll get a split of Cong- of Congress. Right. Um, I think that's what the market is pricing in. I think that's sort of status quo, and I just think that'll be a relief. We just know something, something. Okay. At least get it all behind right. us. And so I think that's 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 all you need, quite frankly. Unless you get like Dem Dem Republican Republican, well, then there are going to be sectors that get impacted for sure. But either way, I, I just think we just need to get it behind us. That's kind of what Kenny says, too. Kenny says we got to wait and, and, and don't be too have an itchy trigger finger here. Uh, yeah. Let's wait till we get it behind you. So two more things here. Uh, I want to ask you about the Fed, the uh, raising heights. So even if we get it behind us, then we face this Fed 
that's going to raise rates in December. And, you know, for our audience who are listening and saying, what's, going, what does, what's the rest of this year going to look like? Is the S&P going to end in positive territory as we get to the 20, end of 2018? And how should I look at it? And should I? It doesn't sound like Stephanie's telling me I should be worried. She's telling me that these valuations are reasonable. The fundamentals are strong. We do have a couple of uh, – we have this election. And what about this Fed hike? Should we be – how do you feel about that? So the Fed, clearly they're, they're hiking at a pretty rapid rate. And, and not only that, but, you know, they're going more uh, – they're, they're, they're uh, changing the whole balance sheet, right? So they're, they're removing a lot of accommodation. But I would say they're doing it because they can. Michael, they're doing it because the economy is growing nicely. Um, we're not going to see 4.2% GDP like we saw in the second quarter, but I think we're going to see three, two and a half, three percent above trend line. And I think with the, uh, the, the jobs and unemployment at the, at the Fed's target, I don't see inflation a big threat, but I think they can continue to slowly, gradually uh, raise. Hopefully, I think what we're all kind of hoping is that December they can raise and then they kind of ease back a little bit in commentary. I will also say between now and the end of the year, get through the elections, get through October, and seasonally, November, December, very good for the markets. So I think we can enjoy a nice That's rally uh, into the end of the year. That's true. They, they are very good. Those are good, strong months for the year, uh, very traditionally. And so uh, do you think, okay, I'm sorry, I told you I only have two, but I got to ask you one more. Uh, we're, it's, it's, we're, it's, well, look, I'm too lucky to have you here. I mean, our listeners are going to say you should have asked her another question because, you know, we, we, we could take advantage of her. Uh, so, uh, Stephanie, uh, we were talking earlier uh, about how defensive stocks uh, have actually been outperforming uh, the more cyclical stocks. Um, uh, in, and, and in that cyclical group, I put some of the high flyers uh, that have been much more volatile. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, is it time to make a shift to defense? Is there a sector uh, rotation, industry group rotation going on that we should be paying attention to? Or it, when this thing comes back, is it going to be 24-hour fang all the time as it was uh, six months ago? Well, I will tell you this. I just got off the Facebook uh, conference call, and yes. that, used to be, that used to be a high flyer. It's not a high flyer anymore, Michael. It's at 16 times forward estimates, growing revenues at 35%. Sure, expenses are running up 50%, but they're doing that because they want to protect privacy and safety. I think that stock could certainly rally into the end of the year. I think FANG certainly can rally because it's pulled back so much. I think that if you get the seasonal rally in the market, like I'm expecting, cyclicals, technology will outperform defensives. Now, next year, different story. We can come back to that next uh, podcast that I'm invited to. Hopefully, I will be. But this Love year, between, between now and the end of the year, I, let's get through elections, and I think you're going to have a nice rally in some of the stocks that, and, and sectors that have really gotten beaten down. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Stephanie Link. She is... Uh, the head of global equities research at Nuveen uh, Investments. You can see her, and I really strongly urge you to tune in when you see Stephanie on Closing Bell Halftime Report. She's a CNBC contributor uh, at Nuveen, an expert's expert in our industry. Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the forecast. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Pleasure was ours. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for another forecast. Kenny Polcari on the market, Stan Mahaffey on Washington, and the great, God, she was really great, Stephanie Link uh, from Nuveen and a fellow CNBC contributor uh, about what she's expecting coming up through the elections, the Fed hike, 
and year end. Uh, sounds like she is fairly optimistic. Ladies and gentlemen, please remember that if you think you heard any recommendation to buy or sell any kind of a security on the forecast, you didn't. We don't make any of those recommendations. If you're thinking of changing your portfolio, your allocations, doing something different with your investment program, please don't, based on anything you heard here. Please go get some professional advice, uh, CPA, somebody, or give us a call at Farm Miller and Washington. We would be delighted and privileged to be of assistance. I've got some wonderful folks. Farmmiller.com. Shoot me an email. We'd be happy to help. Thank you so much for tuning in again uh, with a very grateful heart uh, from Naples, Florida this week. Thanks so much. We'll be back next week with our special election uh, edition. Thanks so much. I'm Michael Farr for the Farcast.